is the Schaefer Baseball Report, an inside look at America's pastime. From Little League all the way to the big leagues. Now here's your host, former Major League infielder Jeff Schaefer. Live. All right, welcome everybody. Schaefer Baseball Report. We're pulling this edition into Wednesday instead of Friday. Uh, Andrew One Tools Like and myself have been traveling a little bit. Uh, we'll bring up some of that. Uh, we got a great guest coming in today, Chris Fasami. Uh, former minor league coach and minor league player and uh, now a, a hitting coach, baseball coach, kind of mental coach to the game. So uh, we're looking to uh, looking forward to diving into that. So appreciate you being here, Chris. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So um, we saw a game last night. Uh, Andrew and I went up to Kannapolis uh, to watch Queens University. That was near any ranking in the country. To play, what what is ECU, Andrew? Twelve somewhere in there. Well, uh, they're anywhere from ten to fifteen. And, yeah, somewhere in there. So a nationally ranked team, good team, whatever. And uh, one of our CBC guys was on the mound, um, Daniel Bagwell. And you know, Chris, being in the game, like we come across certain points in our in our career where it's that moment to do something really special, um, and they don't come very often. And either you capitalize on it or you fall on your face on it. This kid had his moment. That's awesome. Um, you know, he was recruited here as a kind of a an overweight 84 to 85 mile an hour fastball right handed pitcher to Queens when Jack McDowell was hitting here. And uh, but it was, he was a competitor. He was with us, knew he would gobble up innings, knew he would throw strikes, knew he would, you know, keep guys around, keep guys <clears> intact. <throat> but, you know, he worked his ass off, um, lost a ton of weight, mm-hmm. uh, became the number one on uh, Queens that went from a division two. To or club ball, club ball. He was club part ball. of the club ball team, club division. ball division two to D1 program, and got to start yesterday at Canapolis Stadium, uh, the Cannonballer Stadium against ECU. And uh, it's funny because you know, I mean, Andrew and I, we've been watching this club over and over again, and it's not a knock, it's just the way it's been. There's a lot of division two players playing D1 baseball, mm-hmm. and you're going against a nationally ranked team. So we were joking, like, okay, how many one, two, three innings you think you're going to get? And we're like, okay, maybe none. You know, I mean, there's going to be a walk in there, but you know, something's going to happen. What was the over under? We were thinking about big numbers, and Bags went into the fourth inning with a no no. Mm. Ended the game eight and two thirds of an inning, seven punch outs, yeah. one walk, I think three hits, uh, two earned runs, yeah, two three, runs, hits, three hits, and the uh, the the way the ninth inning played out, and he threw 129 pitches, but he wasn't laboring at all. No. He was freaking strong. He was built for it, and um, walks the first guy. Out of the zone. You can see it. He was, Fatigue was coming in. Um, next guy went to bunt. Didn't bunt. Got a kind of swing and knock. Uh, this kid, Zach West, third baseman, come in, makes a great play. Bang, bang at first. From upstairs, looks like he's a, a half a foot out. The umpire calls him safe. First and second. Ends up second and third. Gets to two outs. Lefty comes up. Open base at uh, first. They decide to pitch to the lefty. Hit. He beats him. He beats him with his fastball. Beats his barrel. But he pushes the ball to the, to the uh, left side of the mm-hmm. field. Um, gets past the third baseman, guy on third scores, shortstop Peterson makes a really good play to stop the other run from scoring. Gets out of the gets out of the inning. Um, two two tie. And uh it was that moment, man. It was just he just he was flipping the ball on the mound. It was just he was having a good time. And the biggest piece of that whole night, up until that point, I mean, we was just watching Daniel and it was phenomenal, yeah. right? And then when he got his moment, he took the ball, he came off, he was you know, he knew he competed. He knew he did a great job. And everyone gave him a standing ovation. I, give, I want to give ECU yeah. – I want to give the fans at ECU – ECU is vicious, right? If you yeah. go down to ECU yeah. and you're in the outfield, they eat you up. They 
stood up and clapped for the performance that this kid put on coming off the field. So total class by all of the ECU fans. Um, loved it. And the first guy to meet him, Daniel being a CBC guy, and another guy that went through this exact same journey as um, Bags did is Nick Melton, another CBC kid. And the first one at the line when he crossed the line to give him a hug was Melton. Mm -hmm. So as coaches, you know, Andrew and I and, and been around these guys since they were – Whatever you know, right. there were there were two kids that got knocked off by another team. Said you weren't good enough, and now they're both starters on a Division One program. Right. That's cool, right? I mean, that's exciting for your program. We 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 dug it. It was uh, it was fun to see. It was a proud moment, but it was more of a moment, the human moment that that game provided to have Nick Melton and Daniel Bagwell meet each other at the line, and Melton, who's on the DL now, just smashed his finger. Mm. Share that moment together, you know, and. Uh, you know, it's great. I've had this conversation um, with uh, with Dylan, you know, my youngest one now that, you know, you got to recognize these moments, you know, that you can and you'll remember those moments forever. I mean, we've had a lot of good moments along the way, you know, that, OK, yeah, yeah I got to walk off base hit or I did this or I made a play or anything. But you have that one moment in there that's just kind of like, you know, better than anything else. And uh, that was it. You've had it. I've had it. And you have to recognize those moments because once you get to about. 13 years old, everything starts to have a consequence attached to it, whether it be making a team, staying on a team, earning a starting spot, keeping a starting spot. All these things start to just get heightened as we get older. And so in that cutthroat competition, you have to be able to take a step back and see these, you know, see the game from a bird's eye view and appreciate these small, as you call yeah. them, human moments. Yeah. Um, I always joke with a lot of my players that, you know, the last time I had un unattached, you know, joy to playing a, a week's worth of baseball was Cooperstown when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And we were two and eight that week. And you would have thought we won the thing. That's yeah. how much fun we had. And don't get me wrong, to your point, I've had so many moments after that, yeah. personally, on a national stage with the team, college, professional, whatever it may be. But just to get out there and just have total joy on a baseball field. It's their, their special moments that See, you that, have to appreciate that, you know, that, that is to me, it's, it's an issue. And Andrew, Andrew and I've seen it. There are very, very, very few human moments, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's the, uh, you know, the parents are out of their mind and you write the pressures of, I, you know, these people think that their nine year old kid is being recruited and he's got to get a scholarship. And if he's not on this team or that uniform or whatever, he's not going to get the opportunities that are there. And you miss out. We, we say, you know, it's, it's, it's opportunity, but it's experience along the way. Right. I mean, you, you, we were missing the experiences and whether it's, you know, a good game or just enjoying each other in the dugout, but you know, those, those human moments, remember with the little league world series that uh, I forget what team it was, whatever, but they, they mic'd up the coach and he had this unbelievable speech to the kids that just lost, you know, moving forward, mm -hmm. but it was amazing, you know, and, and, you know, and that was the moment that was captured. That was just, it was, it was prophetic. It was really something, uh, you know, it was something special. So you hope that, we hope, but we, we don't see it because everybody is so determined to get a ring at the end of the weekend, to win a championship, say they're nationally ranked. I heard like one of the area teams right here, um, 12U team in the area, went to Texas to play in this big tournament, right? And the, the tournament went all the way till Tuesday. Well, they were bumped out on Sunday and they had flights leaving on Tuesday. Like what, what was that all about? Like why would you do that up to that point and not just stay back and, you know, and, and, and do what you're supposed to be doing. But the, 
the reason to play this game has changed, mm-hmm. right? It hasn't become because we love to play the game and we enjoy the game and we enjoy practice, right? You're a coach. You you teach hitting. You know, you you have a, a great mental approach to everything like that, you know. But you got to get these guys enjoying what they're doing and not understanding that the pressures of, of working or the pressures of playing or if I don't get a hit right now, I failed and I'm not going to get on the lineup or I'm not going to play. It's sad. I played basketball and baseball all through high school. And there's a lot of times where parents and players will ask me, did you play other sports besides baseball? I said, yeah, I played basketball. I said, the difference is, is that I love to play a basketball game. Practice was different though. You know, who wants to do defensive slides all day? Right. Okay. But the difference is if you're waiting for the love of the game in baseball to come from a game, then you're missing out. Like the the right. love is in the process. It's in the practice. Baseball games can be boring. I mean, you could literally right. go to a game, not get a pitch to swing at all day, not get a ball to field all day. Are you really part of the game? I don't know. But if you could sit there and look at yourself and be like, I love taking swings off the tee every day. I love catching ground balls every day. I love tracking fly balls every day. I love long tossing. Like These are the things that you start to love the process. And if you love to practice, the game is where we get to see if it's showing or not. Yeah. So for me as, as a player, not, not up until, you know, I'm, you're a starter for your whole life, right? And then you run into these roadblocks somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say somewhat for me because I got to the big leagues as a utility guy, which, okay, I got to the big leagues. That was phenomenal, right? Um, but I got there and I wanted to be a starter. You know, I wanted to be that guy that was playing every single day. That doesn't change, you know, in, in our in our makeup and become a utility guy. And I could go a week with not, not seeing the field, right? So my mentality became different. And I shared this with a player this morning um, that my mentality became my game is pregame, right? So I'm going to go to the park knowing the chances are I'm not playing, I'm not starting, I'm not whatever. So I'm going to go take, my, take care of my business and enjoy myself in the pregame. So people say, I would take 50 ground balls at short, 50 ground balls a second, then I'd go over to third and I'd take 50. I'd take 150 ground balls a day, right? People are like, why are you doing that? Because I love to do it, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm going to go take care of my business in all the places that I probably, when my chance comes, my opportunity comes, I'm prepared to take care of it. And so I I enjoyed it. And then the, then the cherry on the top was, okay, you're in the lineup today, or it's the seventh inning, you got to go in and play. That became the cherry. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm not in the lineup. You know, I'm not whatever. You have to find your, you have to find your silver linings mm-hmm. and all these things. And you have to find your, you know, we, you know, the word nirvana. You got to find that happy place. And that happy place became practice for me. Yeah. And it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily uh, ever, ever a grind. You know, if you love something, then you, you love everything about it, right? Not just hey, I, I just like playing. And that, and that came down with my son Zach. You know, that had a chance to go on to play at the next level and. uh and he said, I like it. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. And you can't do it, man. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. But the pressures, you know, and we see that you're coaching. Yeah. So let's go through that. But I do, you know, I want, I want to do, I want to talk about the, you know, the pressures of parents and putting them on there. And that's, and that's part of, part of our business, right? Because parents want their kids to get better. So they got to find the right place to go to get them better. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are getting paid that aren't going to make people better. You know, and that's that's reality. And I'll say, you know, I'm not afraid to say that just because you're a coach out there doesn't mean that you're making the kid better. You might have read something online or got a book or, you know, but if you don't have certain experiences in this game, you know, you've played long enough to know that 
you've been through all the ups and downs, mm-hmm. all the all the highs, all the lows, all the failures. You've dug yourself out. You try to keep that. You know, I think the hardest thing to do is stay consistent, mm-hmm. right? Because as, because as athletes, you know, especially competitors, and and let's say on an elite level, you were drafted, I was drafted, on a higher level. When you're doing something really good, you want to do it better, and doing something really good is good in this game. So, uh, you know, interesting enough, but so, um, so you guys that are listening in and we appreciate everybody listening to Shaver baseball report again. Um, this is Chris Vasami. He's, uh, he's here in Charlotte. Now my mama right neck. So mine's Patchog. So yeah. that, <laughs> people get that one wrong all the time. So I say it again, Mamaronek. Mamaronek. So that's, uh, Westchester County. Yes, sir. North of the city a little mm-hmm. bit yep. in, in New York. So we just bring New Yorkers on here. Yeah. And, and yeah, Andrew. yeah. <laughs> I'm the minority here. Yeah. Minority. You're always a minority on here, but, uh, drafted by the Rockies. Yep. Um, played a little bit there. How far did you go there? Not the high. High. Okay. And then, uh, then one played independent ball. Yes. So played. guys go and play independent ball because what, they love the game. Yeah. They don't want, it's not over till it's, till you, till, till it's over. Yeah. Um, Elon. Right. Started right. at Notre Dame and then Started went to at Notre Dame. Yep. So uh, recruited out of New York from the from the uh, Long Island Tigers, yep. which is a prominent uh, at that time showcase travel team along with the Bayside Yankees. So those were the two yep. the two big dogs until the, it was awesome until then. the Port Jeff A's went out and won the yeah. County Mac World <laughs> Series. Wouldn't you? So, yeah, we went. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, basically it was still at the time where you played in the league and, and you had a league and it was us, Bayside. Brooklyn Bonnie is a new service. Yeah. And we literally just played each other for two straight months. Yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. Highly, high, highly competitive. Yeah. The best of the best out there. So, um, and, and, and a recruited league, which was kind of not like, when we say recruited, like recruited by schools that weren't necessarily in the state of New York. Yeah. They came from everywhere to yeah. watch, to watch those teams play. And those, those were draft pick guys too. Mm-hmm. that were playing on those organizations. And, uh, Mel Zitter was, you know, Mel Zitter was part of that, you know, that, that circuit yeah. in the uh, uh, in the city, and then Mel came down here and coached with us for a while. But um, I gotta ask something now: Are you faking your accent? Every New York guy you bring on doesn't have an accent. Am I faking? No, yeah. he's- <laughs> I wish. You gotta remember, I wake up next to a New Yorker, and the first thing is, you know, hey, where's my water? Yeah, where's my water? Get your own freaking water. That's how that goes. Yeah. So that's uh, um, but so the draft, the draft, you play. Um, you're done in the process. Um, you, uh, do you say you developed it or I don't know you cancer, you, you, you hit with cancer. Yeah. I got, at yeah. What age was that? 31, at? 31. Yeah. And, um, shocker. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting when you, you go through baseball and like you said, you have your ups and downs and it's hard. You know, I thought until I got diagnosed with cancer, I thought hitting with the bases loaded with two outs in the bottom of the ninth was the hardest thing in life. Um, It's cake compared to, you know, at least you're in control of what's going on in that moment. And, you know, the other thing, too, is they, um, you know, when you sit there and you you say your vows in sickness and in health, you don't think you're going to go through it three years later. And so that took on a whole new meaning to life and partnership and team and support your daughter's born no diagnosed no no okay no i didn't have any daughters yet so it was just it was a it was a new wake-up call to life and understanding what support is and understanding what the process is and understanding things that you can control and to be honest i mean it 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 was in a way now i can sit back and say it was a blessing because it actually made me 
a better person. It made me a better teacher. It made me a better coach. It made me more empathetic. Um, and it's, you know, technically not gone. I, I luckily I have a type of thyroid cancer that's not fatal. It's just very life altering. And as life has gone on, I've had, you know, every time I thought I hit rock bottom, rock bottom was another, you know, six months away waiting. But in all that, I always like to say that, you know, the darkness is a hell of a teacher when you let it. And so being able to take a step back and, and take it all in and truly understand what's it for, then, you know, there's something that you can at least formulate a plan and go about it. And so that's a lot of ways how I like to approach teaching players and coaching players. So, so when you're done playing, right, before you're diagnosed, mm -hmm. you're done playing, what, what did you do? So I started Vasami training. I started teaching players my after my sophomore year of college. So that was the first time I ever gave a lesson. Yeah. And it started out of, you know, probably the mo uh, one of the first trials of, of my playing career. Last game of the year, we were playing Wake Forest. This was at Elon. And I, out of high school, I was one of the best two-way guys in the country. I was an All-American, went to Notre Dame as a two-way guy. Got to Notre Dame. We were number two in the country. So I didn't expect to play a lot. Right. And ended up getting one at bat my freshman year. Pitched about 30 or 40 innings. Went in at the end of the year to sign my scholarship paper and talk about the summer. And so I asked my coach, I said, what do I need to do this year to this summer to come back and compete for first base next fall? And he used that as an opportunity to tell me how terrible of a hitter I was and I'd never make it and <laughs> college wasn't for me. And they just wanted me to throw 95 and go from there. And, and so it was hard to walk out of that office and say, wow, I, I have to leave Notre Dame. Like it's, yeah. you know, but my dream was to play professional baseball. My dream right. wasn't to play at Notre Dame. If it was, right. I would have right. quit baseball. So I go to Elon and started out the year as a sophomore as the left as the pinch hitter against lefties had a couple walk-offs. I became the pinch hitter period. Then I became the DH against lefties. Then I became the DH. Then I became the first baseman against lefties. And then finally, by the end of the year, I was the first time all, all the time. First baseman last game against wake forest pitcher gets a ball, throws it high and in, I catch it. The guy runs into me and I blew my shoulder out. And so that summer I went home and rehabbed hard and ended up having surgery like end of July. And I remember my coach saying to me, non-throwing shoulder, non-throwing shoulder. Yep. So I ended up having surgery and spent about four months rehabbing. I mean, it was the first time in my life that I didn't pick up a bat for three months. And it was just dry swings and learning how to, but I also took it as an opportunity to retrain my swing, literally starting from scratch all over again. Mm -hmm. So I come back and um, it was one of those things where, I had looked at the last six months and been like, look, man, if you can get through this, you can get through anything. You know, it was the first time that, you know, a, a, right. a real injury had hindered me. So that summer was the first time because I wasn't playing. I made a flyer, which I actually just found the other day. Okay. No Went on clip art yeah. and made a flyer and put it up all over town. And that's how Vasami Stable training started. Telephone poles. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Grocery store. Yeah. And that's how Vasami training started. And then as my career went on and pro started more and more people, wanted to work with me which i was grateful for and it was interesting you know you talk about the ups and downs you know i was a starter all through college and then i get drafted and i was a lower draft pick so i wasn't a starter and same thing kind of happened i really got hot uh towards the end of the year 
I ended up, I think I had a point where I was 10 for 12 with like seven extra base hits, two walk-offs in a row. The next night, I, moments. yeah, the next yeah. night I got hit with a 96 mile an hour pitch and broke my elbow. And so my season was done. Right. And so to your point, I was trying to find my place, you know, the, for the last six, you know, two, three, four weeks of the season. Right. And what I decided to do was, you know, phones, you know, no one was, iPhones really weren't a thing then, but we still had a camcorder. So I started recording hitters in game. And then in between innings, sit down and watch it with them. And it was the first time that I really was able to transport myself into the body of somebody I was watching and be able to try and really feel what are they doing? What's their movement? What's their thinking? Where's that? Where are they getting stuck? All those things. And it was became super helpful to my teammates. So it's so the first time I heard about you um, was from uh, Dusty Waffen, who's obviously the third base coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, and Huck was in our organization. And I stopped doing lessons, or whatever, and uh, work with I work with the guys and the things. But you know, I mean, we take it to the next level. And, and Huck said, you know, this he I'm going to Chris Fasami, and, and every time I hear that, I'm like, okay, let me hear about this guy. You know, like what, you know, what's out there? Like, you know, is this another just kind of dude that you know has no experience that's going to teach or a high school kid or something that's going to try and teach uh trying to teach hitting and then um so we got more in depth i got more in depth of the conversation with huck because i was watching him in the cage here and bat speed had picked up seemed looser um and uh you know then uh then todd friedman uh then todd friedman we sat down and had breakfast and yeah. met the first time and um had a good conversation and started to kind of like dive into more what you were doing and then um you know, my son Dylan, he needed somebody other than his dad to mm-hmm. talk to him about hitting. And, uh, and get, listen, I, I know a lot in terms of the game. I don't know everything, right? And I never claim to know everything. And I never, I, if there's something better than what I can provide, I'm going to do it. Um, you know, especially for your kid. And, uh, and I did, you know, and it came down to the fact like, okay, you need somebody else, Dylan. You know, my, this is, this is, you're over this part, right? Um, and you took him and, he's my barometer on coaches, right? He's, he's the one that tells me cause he's, he's, he's a smart kid. He's, he he's raised in a baseball family. He understands the game. He knows everything that's going on and he knows what good instruction is and he knows what good coaching is. And he came back and he said, I said, what do you think? He goes, I love it. Absolutely love it. So then we came up here and we started to work. And once I turned him over to you, I didn't say another word to him. You know what I mean? And that's a problem with a lot of kids is that they're going to go get so many voices in their head from so many different guys. So they may be paying you to do it, mm-hmm. but as middle school coaches tell them, no, you got to do this. And the guy's trying to make somebody happy and, and do whatever. So, you know, I still, I stepped back and we started, you know, I just fed the, fed the machine. Good swing. Good swing. Looks good. Looks good. That's it. And, uh, and it all changed. I mean, it did. It changed. You changed him. And I appreciate that. And that's not just saying that because you're here, because, you know, Andrew's been around me, around me long enough and people on the show are like, if I think it's crap, I'm going to say it's crap. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, it, it's been a plus. So your, your experiences as far as a player goes and as far as, you know, these, these, um, these pitfalls that you had to climb out of, that's some of the biggest parts of it. Some of the, some of our greatest moments, you know, in terms of development wise comes from when we're not getting what we want to get. Sure. Right. The successes aren't there. I'm not on the field. I'm not doing whatever. And these are moments that you grow through. And a lot of guys don't grow through it. Right. So it's uh, this game is vicious. It'll spit you out. Right. If you want to stay in it, you can work your way to stay in it. If you want to stay at a level, certain level. You can, you can stay at a certain level. 
But the minute that you slack on it, somebody else is right behind you that wants it even more. So you see that? Do you see that with kids? Like you bring, we're bringing a lot of guys in, sort of sending guys your way, but um, the work ethic, you know, I mean, are you vetting guys in a sense that if you want to work, I'm here for you. If you don't want to work, then, you know, go down the road to the guy that's going to tell you how great you are. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and it happens really quickly. And what happens is I can start to see it as they come in. How, how, how long do we have to spend on the last thing we did together? That's my kind of barometer. How many, how many times did you swing this week? And I, it's not even all about just the, the actual times that you make contact. Okay, if, if you're going two, three days and your bat's not even being touched, we have a problem. And, you, and to your point, you don't love it. You don't want it that right. bad. I would sit in my parents' kitchen with a bat in my hand and have conversations with my parents all day mm-hmm. just because I loved the, the feel the bat. of the bat. Yeah. I loved swinging yeah. a bat. I loved yeah. tracing my swing. I yeah. loved to understand where my contact yeah. point was. Where was my, I call it that point of exertion, that point of explosion. <laughs> And so when players, they sit there and, and they tell me, I, I, I joke with the players all the time. I said, I'm the mirror you don't want to look at because you tell me one thing, but you show me another thing. And I'm the one that's going to call you out on that because that's my job. That's right. what you hired me as. Right. And that's, you know, I look, I cultivate relationships with these kids and these families. And, and I'm so appreciative of it because it's it's a beautiful part of the process. But I always tell them. Don't be shocked when I then call you out maybe raise my voice, maybe get a little more stern because the first day we met, we weren't friends. You came in here and you hired me to do a job. And so I'm always going to have that accountability to myself in my back pocket anytime that we're going through something. And so it's a lot of it is teaching these guys under and, and, and girls. I work with softball players too. What's the gray area? If you're not perfecting the gray area, then the results, highs and lows, they're just going to be so extreme. Mm-hmm. And the gray area is when you're training, are eight out of 10 swings in a controlled environment what they're supposed to be? So for me, a controlled environment is T, soft toss, front toss. That's a controlled environment. And any drill within that, are you getting eight out of 10 swings the way that you want? So then that way in BP, it can be five or six. And then that way in the game, it's three or four. Mm-hmm. And that's how we get to understand, do you know what you're doing? And then are you able to then translate it to each place from there? A lot of times guys love to get into this mode of they're feeling good. So swing, 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 swing. And I'll, right. I'll put a hard stop on it. I'll right. be like, no, go take a break. Quality over quantity. Right. And they're like, why? I'm like, yeah. because I want those swings to sink in. Right. But at the same time, I need the, the, the first swing after a break to be exactly what it just was. Otherwise, how are you going to go? How are you ever going to be able to repeat a swing in a game? When you got three, four, five, 10, 15 minutes in between at bats. Right. So that, that, that's a, that's a, it's a beautiful hybrid, right? When we hit, right. And um, the mental and the physical. Okay. So we know we have the physical and we're, again, we're back to being these athletes, right. And we're having a, a good round of BP or we're hitting off the machine and we're freaking, we're, we're peppering balls, we're peppering balls. We feel good mentally. And all of a sudden we stop, Pep, we stop doing it. Right. So then we start to fight the head. There, there, there is that point, and I, and I didn't learn that until, you know, I would say, you know, four years, five years into professional baseball because I'm around older guys at that point. I wasn't in A-ball and double A. You know, now I'm with triple-A guys, guys going up and down the big leagues, and we're going to take BP, and they're taking 25 swings, and they're out. And I'm like, dude, we got, like, a basket full of balls over here. Let's go, yeah. you know? And, like, why? I feel good. I'm taking it to the game. 
So that's the mental part. I'm taking it to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't take the physical. You can't take the phys- You can't think about the physical going into the game. No. You got to take the feel going into the game. And that's that's a that's a difficult transition for a kid, right? That's not really mature mentally yet. He may be physically, right? We're seeing these animals are coming bigger, stronger, and faster than they ever were. Mm-hmm. But the the mental the mental glide into the game that feel good. Like I want to be on deck and I just went, wow, that feels good. I don't want to be getting my front side down. I'm firing my hips. I'm on plane. You know, I don't want to go through all that crap on that. But if there were point, points in my career when I did, you know, and you're trying to fix everything physically and the fix is mental, not physical. So you have a good hybrid because we talked uh, the other day at Top Golf mm-hmm. just shortly about that. And it's, it's, you know, that that's the approach that these guys have to have. And that's why I get, you know, listen, the guys that are out there giving lessons, they're trying to make money, get it, right? A lot of these guys. The other part of it is, you know, they don't understand the mental approach to it. They're, they haven't really dug themselves out in pro ball when you, that's your check and that's your livelihood. Like, I got to fix this thing. Yeah. And I got to I gotta break myself down or I got to change something for it. Explaining that to a young mind is difficult. Like, that's enough. Stop swinging, dude. Go home. Stop, you know, but they want to hit, 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 hit. And it's like on the driving range, right? You hit a few good good balls and then like, let's go, let's go play. But then you just keep hitting balls. Next thing you got the shanks and now you're taking that to the course. And now you've, you twist up your head. My mm-hmm. point is, you, you know, the, the mental part of it, we've had Springer here. Mm-hmm. Springer's a great friend. We love Springer's approach to it. You know, he's got an approach to the game approach. and um, But your approach mentally is not only to the game, but it's to the, uh, you know, to the practice part of it. I think a lot of players, they confuse that if I have a good swing, it automatically makes me a good hitter. That's not the case. If you have a good swing, you have the opportunity to be a good hitter. Right. Because in my eyes, there's three ways to to be a good hitter that has that that have to go into it. Timing, decision making, and then obviously your swing, which for me, I call that in the game. I call that direction. All right. Timing, timing, decision making and then swing. But I call right. it direction, right? Okay. And the whole thing about the swing is that I, I want the swing to be in practice. That's the thing that I focus on. That's the thing that I feel. That's the thing that I trust. That's that's what I build trust in. So that when I get into the game, I'm now focused on: Am I on time? Did I make a good decision? Because the swing should hopefully complete those two things. Mm-hmm. If I'm sitting there worried about timing and making a good decision, and where are my hands? Did I fire my back foot on time? We're done. The ball's past me. I don't have, I just, I literally don't have time for that. And within those three things, a a little bit even farther than that is then your ability to compete Mm -hmm. on the days that you don't feel good. How well do you compete? Can you fight? Can you sit there and really, you know, it's it's early in the year. So I'm having this conversation with a lot of guys. You want to sit there and look at the front of the plate. I want you to look a foot in front of the plate. So if you're on a field, draw an X, put a, you know, I'll put a cone out there when we're training, you're competing literally as if it's a race, you can't let the ball get past this spot and you'd be shocked at how timing and decision-making get fixed just by not waiting too long, not trying to let the ball get so deep, not trying to be perfect with Mm -hmm. your timing. To me, early is on time, on time's late. One of the, one of the worst things I, I think anybody teaches a kid is let the ball get deep. Yeah. One of the worst things that you can say to a kid. You hear so many guys say that. Let it travel. Yeah. Let it get deep. You go, go, go. Your eyes tell you no. You put it in a box. You know, mm-hmm. you say, is, is that pitch in my in my zone or yeah. not in my zone? And then you go. And then if your swing is right, then then you you know you find barrels and and you know it's it, it, that 
it, it really, it, it, you simplify the approach, right? Everybody wants to complicate everything, but you do have to build the mechanics of the swing yeah. and then, but you got to get there. But the mechanics of the swing, you're right, is one piece. You know, the timing is, the timing is not easy to teach. Mm -hmm. It's it's difficult to teach. And I say this and I talk to Dylan all the time like that because when Dylan had struggled in the past, it's been timing, right? Mm -hmm. Swing looks good, man. But you know, you found, you're getting under pitches, you're getting too late or whatever. And, and, and teaching guys how to, how to load and, and, and dance with the pitcher, right? Yeah. That's how you say, that's for me. And I had different ways of doing it, you know. And one was okay. If this guy was a smooth, you know, like I could, I could, I could, I could move with the pitcher, mm -hmm. right? And get his time. The other thing is, if a guy was like kind of on me quick, like a like a quick to the thing, I would count. That was one thousand two. Mm -hmm. That was one thousand two. And I would go through all this on deck, you know. I would go through it, you know. His, his what I've seen, and you've seen this in pro ball, um, and and I'm seeing it at the higher level college teams right now, right? We saw uh, Wake Forest throw the other night so Virginia um and and Bagwell threw an amazing game last night they were around the plate yeah and the pitches that they're taking are here <laughs> off the dish right so for me and I've said this even though my numbers my statistics won't show um you know that I was an average a big average guy in the big leagues but I got sporadic at bats I had barrels I had a lot of quality at bats mm -hmm. in the big leagues because more guys were around the dish yeah. and I could be more aggressive I could go in certain situations and I could get my timing and 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 get on it, where it's it's difficult, you know, when you're growing up. You got guys that are throwing one pitch here, one pitch there, mm -hmm. one pitch over here. Um, but you know, you, you you're putting you're putting all that stuff together. And the decision making is off speed, fastball, changeup. Well, and also where are you hitting it? Where location? It's pitched? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, we, that's what we talked right. we touched on that the other day. Yeah. I firmly believe that what we, what we have is a lack of complete hitters now. Mm -hmm because of what we've seen in the big leagues and and it only plays in the big leagues right pull side only home runs only batting 210 only i mean we if you look at college especially now you look at college there are more guys playing 90 plus percent of innings and games hitting below 210 than we've ever seen mm. and so i look at my players and i go how do you not salivate over that opportunity to go be a complete hitter because if that guy's playing 90% of games hitting 205, how bad is the guy on the bench? So let's not even – let's not fool ourselves that there's this plethora of talent out there. Because if if I'm sitting on the bench and a guy's hitting 200 in front of me, I, I, I'm, I must not be a 250 hitter. Right. And so the idea of being a complete hitter is can you barrel the ball where it's pitched and where is it supposed to go? And I think the issue is that we've gotten so gassed up with the idea of what power is. And so I, I do a word association with my guys. I go, what's I go, I say power, you say what? They go home run. I go, how much you hit last year? Oh, none. Right. I go, so you don't have power? Right. Go, of course not. You we all have power. It's just relative to the moment and the person and the player that we are. So if I'm able to understand that if I get a pitch middle in and I hit it two hops off the wall, pull side for a double, that's exactly what I was supposed to do with that pitch in that moment. Now with two strikes, <clears throat> the guy's trying to paint me low and away. And I hit a one hopper opposite between the, either the shortstop and the third base or the first baseman and the second base. You did exactly what you were supposed to do on that pitch. Right. And guess what? They count exactly the same because they all are a data point in you becoming a better complete hitter. So now as I get bigger, faster, stronger, my core gets stronger, my elbows get stronger, my wrist gets stronger. Now that pitch that's low and away that maybe is up three or four inches. Now that goes over the right fielder's head. But if, if 
six months ago, you tried to make that ball go over the right fielder's head. That's a rollover ground Doesn't ball happen. all day. So well, I guess I go ahead, Andrew. So, so two things, especially youth intermediate, right? One, you don't see, like you brought up, you don't see kids on the on-deck circle getting their timing, getting the rhythm down, getting a good base ready. You don't see that. And then two, I rarely ever see when pitchers are throwing bullpens during the week, no hitters are getting their timing. They're not getting pitch recognition. I, don't, I think that's oh, one. standing in there. Yeah, yeah I, well, that, that's the most yeah. overlooked thing, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, you could get easy pitch recognition and timing just from that yeah. during the week. You don't have to swing. And that's one right. of the best best things to do is just exactly. go in there and take, 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 right. take, take. Yep. So I, I had I had the fortune to play with Edgar Martinez for three years, you know, Hall of Famer DH. And everything that you're talking about was was Edgar's approach to um, – well, first of all, with, you know, talking about Andrew, our at bats start long before we get in the mm-hmm. in the in the batter's box, and a lot of these guys, the majority of these guys, start their their at bat in the batter's box. Not so Edgar. Edgar would Edgar would tell he could tell everybody on the team exactly what was going to happen to them, how they were going to be pitched, right? And then he would say, "And this is what you should do with it." And then you know, and he wasn't just talking to us. He would go up and he'd say, "You know, shape. I'm going to get two sliders away my first at bat." If I get one in my zone, I'm going to take it in the right field, in right center field gap, right? So now, so now he's got his timing for he's, he's figured out what his timing is going to be on the slider. He's timing it. If a fastball went by him, his timing was off for that. But he created his timing on the off speed. He understood his location and he understood, like you said, what am I going to do with that pitch? So you may do two out of the three and roll over on it. Mm-hmm. All right. So I sit up, I sit, we sit, Andrew and I sit in my office up here and we watch Queens. We watch a lot of these hitters and we're watching the approach of the pitcher. And a lot of guys won't watch that or they can't adjust to it, right? How many guys today pitch in? Nobody. Not on purpose. Right? Not on purpose, exactly. <laughs> so, but you know, but last night, so I'm sitting there with Dylan and we're watching the game, and Virginia brings in a uh uh little, little slight less of the three-quarter guy, sidearm type of guy, right? And I said, Dylan, this is what happens in this situation. He can't get his fastball to the outside half of the plate. Sinker ball guys can't do that. Three these guys can't. It's got to run in on hands, mm-hmm. right? All fastballs are going to be in. Breaking ball is going to be away. Watch this. Yeah. Learn this. You know, this is what I'm giving my son. You know, like, you know, and he, you know, we're at the point now he's on rehab, so he's got to listen to me. He can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but sure yeah. enough, fastballs running in. Sliders away. Do you understand this, Dylan? So this is the the, the mental piece that we're that we're, we're trying to get. So for me, I quad it out right, up and away, up and in, down and away, down and in, mm-hmm. and I pick the box, and I watch the guy throw. While I was either on deck or batting ninth and all the way through, how many balls did he throw into my quad? Not a whole bunch. Okay. All right. Well, what's the next thing? Where's he going? Okay. So then I adjust my feet or my body or whatever to make that quad that he's thrown into my quad. Your quad, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, you had successes. And um, I don't know that hitters, like you're saying, there's, there's, there's a lack of completion in the hitters. Mm-hmm. There's guys that have great swings, right? These beautiful swings, touchdown, uh, whatever. But they don't have the whole package. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, and, and you know, going back to what you were saying before about coaches and different voices and heads, you're constantly battling the in-game coach. Mm-hmm. And the in-game coach is the one who, at the end of the day, he always has winning in the back of his mind. And so they're going to give you cues and things to work on and things to do and take signs that are that are independent to that specific game in that mm-hmm. moment that are not going to help you develop as a hitter yourself. I joke all the time, you know, we have these 11, 12, 13-year-old coaches giving a, uh, these kids a 2-0 take sign. 
So they, they've already learning not to swing in an right. advantageous count. Right. Then the best part is then it's a strike, and now you take the take sign off. So you didn't trust an 11-year-old in a 2-0 count. Right. Now you, you trust him in a 2-1 count. Yeah. That makes no sense to me at all. Right. Right. Let a kid strike out yeah. swinging three times. Yeah. I tell my players all the time, I want to know, come in and tell me what you can't hit. Stop telling me what you can hit. Don't sit there and tell me that, oh, I love the pitch middle in. Great. And what happens when you don't get it all game? Right. What happens now? You know, youth base, youth baseball, especially at the younger levels, it's 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 an anomaly right now because everybody's so bent on winning, right? So don't get me wrong, I am I I want to win every single game I'm out there, right? But there there's a process to this, and there's a developmental period to it. To your point, right? So you're teaching these young kids not to hack at a two o three one whatever when you're in that hitter's count, and we talk about hitter's counts all the time. We grew up here in hitter's count, hitter's mm-hmm. count, right? Anything that anything when you have more balls than you have strikes, you're in a hitter's count your odds are better that you're going to get a, a good pitch to hit. So that doesn't, but it, it, it does transition to a point where you have to win. And now you're taking that developmental part and putting it in trend and the learning curve gets bigger, right? Because you haven't taught them here. Right. And now you're in this highly competitive situation where you have to win and you've got to continue to teach them instead of understanding. Like if, if I got a two account and I got, and I got a take sign, I'm like, Really? Okay, for maybe what you know for whatever. Maybe you saw that you know this guy's losing or something like that. But I'm like two oh man, I'm drooling. And then you look down and go, yeah. you know. But more times than not, it's two oh three one. Boom. I think the issue is that we we don't understand what baseball is, and in my opinion, baseball is an individual sport disguised as a team sport. Yeah. And so what that means is you got. And I'm sure you can attest yeah. this. You can attest this. Some of the best teams I played on were nine of the most selfish guys. Absolutely. Not because they were just bad guys, right? but because no. they wanted to do their job every single Absolutely. play at bat, Absolutely. pitch, period, yeah. end of story. And so when you have nine guys doing their specific job, you have no. a really good team. I have no issues telling a player to be selfish. Yeah. I have zero issues telling them to be. Hey, listen, when you're in the dugout, it's kumbaya, it's, key, it's yeah. team, right? When you're on that field, you better take care of your business. Okay, and you're like people say in in a lot of scenarios, right? You're only as good as your weakest link. Well, your weakest link is the least selfish guy on the team. You know, he's not the guy that's out there just grinding out, wanting to do everything that he can. And that is that, that that's 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 a huge piece, right? Yeah. Is that when I took the field, listen, I wanted to win, I wanted to go to a championship, I wanted to celebrate with my buddies. But you know what? I was on that field to do my job yeah. to try and. I used to go to my mindset. I had different mindsets because I wasn't the best player at that level, right? And I would go. I would go to the parking. Okay, I'm in the lineup today, and I'm, I'm with Seattle, and I'm playing with Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez, and you know, and, and these are great guys that put on consistency throughout their careers, not just throughout a season, but on any given day, I could be the greatest player on the field. They could have an 0 for 4 day. They could make an error. They didn't do whatever. I could go three for four, four for four, make a dive and play, do something great, and I was the best player on that field. That's selfish. And I loved it. Yeah. And I wanted to be selfish. And when other guys weren't selfish, I had an issue of telling them, right. you know, like you, you don't step this up, dude. You know, this isn't, you know, when I'm blocking you, for you, when I set up a play for right. you, you take care of your business. Why do you not want the ball in your hand in the, in the end of the game? Why do you yeah. not want to be the guy at bat with a man on yeah. third and less than two mm-hmm. outs? Like why, why do you not want that? Anything less than a hundred percent RBI rate success rate with a man on third and less than two outs should be unacceptable to you. Like right. failure should bother you and i think that's my thing is failure doesn't bother these these players enough to want to get stuff done on their own there's so many times where kids will tell me i say what'd you do at practice oh we hit 
How many swings you take? Oh, 12. That's enough for you? Yeah. Because I, again, we can go even deeper into this, yeah. right? Because I know at a team practice, you got 30 to 40 minutes to get 12 kids, 12 swings. Time is not on our favor. Right. So you can't tell me that you took 12 thoughtful, conscious swings where in between swings, I was able to dissect the last swing I took. I'm able to focus on the next swing I'm about to take. So it's rapid fire. So you're going to so you're going to tell me that 12 rapid fire swings is good enough for you that day? Fine. Okay, but it's not going to be good enough for somebody who is your competition who then blows you out away. Yeah, there's 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 so many different pieces to an approach to development. And the approach begins the successful guys are the selfish guys. Mm-hmm that stop and say, okay, and, and break it down. Like, what am I got to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Now you always have, it's different because when, you know, when, when, when I grew up we, and I'm, I'm older than you, obviously by numerous years, but the same guy that stunk at eight stunk at 16, but he was on a team and he knew his role. So be selfish about being that guy, sure, you know, and do what you have to do to be, maybe be the team guy. Right. But the guys that have taken the field to compete every single day, the guys that get drafted aren't out there worrying about, you know, you want to win. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, if you don't go about your business being that guy, you're not going to succeed. Right. You're not going to succeed. There's, um, you know, there's, we, the, the separator becomes for me is everybody becomes physical, right? We all possess the same tools and you can, you know, this as well as, as, as any guy that's been in pro ball. There's a lot of guys that you saw in a ball, that could have played in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys that are in double A could have played in the big leagues. A lot of guys that talent wise, right? Absolutely. Physicality, talent wise, didn't have the mental, sure. didn't have the abilities to take up to the next level and handle the next level, make the adjustments that have to be made and processes that have to get in there because success comes through processes, right? It's not necessarily like today I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do that. No, no it's, it, it's process. You better fall in love with the boring routine yeah. mm-hmm. because that's where, that's where fundamentals come into play. That's where success lies. That's where trust starts to be built. And that's where I'm able to really find out about myself as a player in that boring routine that is that, that is rooted in self-discipline, that nothing is going to get in the way of that. And if, if any of your friends or, or teammates look at you and be like, bro, why are you hitting on a Friday night? They don't get it. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I... I had a lot of friends who didn't understand why I was hitting at 8.30 on a Friday night in my parents' basement. And I would say to them, look, I'll text you when I'm done, or I'll call you when I'm done. If you're out, I'll come meet you. And guess what? 80% of the time, they weren't even out anymore. So I didn't miss anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a Gemini, right? So my wife says, you know, I definitely have two sides to me. So I can have a conversation with myself, mm-hmm. right? And I would go through process. And if there was somebody ahead of me that I was going after, you know, I'd, I'd have a conversation like I was like, listen, dude, I'm coming for your job, right? So it, it's this funny story, but we're, we're in spring training, you know, when you go to spring training, and, and I don't know if the Rockies had their big league facility around, surrounded by yeah. their minor league facility. The Orioles did, right? And um, I got to I got to rookie ball, and uh, Rich Dower was the second baseman. And before, Richie was our infield coordinator. And Richie's a good guy, yeah. right? I really I, – I, I love Dower. And it's a funny story because it, it ends in Colorado Springs when he was coaching with the, with the Rockies. Yeah. But um, I go to work out before the draft, and I'm taking ground balls to second base. 
you know, and I'm I'm thinking, dude, I'm picking and grinning. I'm freaking like I'm better than this dude, right? But he's pissed because I'm taking time because he's a big league guy. Mm-hmm. Selfish time, right? This is time to get ready for a big league game. I'm like, dude, I, you know, but Jeff Schaefer is here, man. Like, what do you know? Right? So he runs my ass off, and I'm pissed. So now I'm in the outfield shagging balls, and I'm now being an outfielder. I get the blue field. I get a piece of paper because we didn't have texts or tweets or whatever we have now, right? And I write this whole long letter to Dower. How you piece of crap. You know what? That's how you can treat me. Guess what, dude? I'm, a, I'm in rookie ball. You don't know me. I'm coming for your <laughs> job. I want you, and you're going to regret the day, right? I write this whole long thing. I'm lick it, mail it, send it, you know? So this is eight years later, nine years later, we're in Colorado Springs. I'm playing third base, and I'm still pissed at Dower, right? And I'm like, dude, did you ever get my letter? He goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, I got like thousands of letters at a time. You think I'm going to open a letter? For- I never got your letter. I'm like, good. You know, because <laughs> I, I told him the whole thing and we laughed about yeah. it. But mindset, right? Smallest guy on the field, whatever. Like, I'm coming for you. Yeah. I am coming for you. There's, there's an approach to everything that we're doing. Same thing with business and life and all this other stuff. And we joke about parallels, right? The game helps you with battling through your broken elbow, your torn shoulder, your cancer, yeah. right? And that's the thing that we thought. And oh, we started this whole show on the human moments, right? Mm-hmm. And these are the human experiences that parlay into what you're doing now to what we're doing now. And people forget that along the way. Like, what is this game is doing to create these human beings that are going to be more successful or better fathers, better whatever? I, I'll give you a perfect and example. Husbands, I got to say that. Yeah, better husbands. No, I'll give you Otherwise, a perfect I'm example because <laughs> I when I when I first got done with ball and transitioned right into training players. I still had that edge to me of a player and yeah. things to prove and, and ego. And I remember people would call me to work with their sons and daughters. And I almost took offense to the fact that they didn't know I, I used to play professional baseball. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean you're not? You had no idea? Yeah. What are you talking about? Why are you here? And then finally, I had this metanoia moment one day where I was like, dude, wake not a, up. Not in a Maranek moment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what that other word was. <laughs> so, so I had this moment where I was like, dude, they're not calling you because you're a professional baseball player. They're calling you because you have now transitioned into a teacher, a mentor, a coach that they got all this. They got word of mouth from other people that you've helped and, and that trust you to help their son or daughter. Like, that's what you are now. And like, that's, you know, that was See, a- that's, that's that's amazing. I mean, I, this, this has been a really good conversation for me overall, too, because a lot of things that. You know, I, I tell the guys that come teach with us, right? Coach with us. And some of them played in the big leagues and we had to get rid of them, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was more important that people knew that they were a big leaguer mm-hmm. instead of the fact that, you know, you're not a big leaguer anymore. Yeah. You're a steward of the game now. Yeah. You have to give back the knowledge that you have, you know? So, you know, these guys want to walk around and like, oh, yeah, you know, and they, got, and they still got their, you know, their jerseys on or the hats on or whatever. And, you know, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, it's not if you're going to. You can't make the kid think that you're not on his level right. to a degree, right? I mean, you're talking, yeah. you're talking at a different. Like, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm just the oldest. I, it's like Animal House, right? Belushi was there how many years? Yeah. I'm Belushi, <laughs> right? I'm just a fraternity brother. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. and I'm, and I'm hanging around like that. Same with you, you know. We, this is, this is a great conversation. I'm really great, glad you're, you're in here, and we, and we, we've had this in depth. Like, realistically, this game has given us so much more than just. The statistics Absolutely. and the opportunities. Yeah. Are we proud of what we did? Yeah. Absolutely. Why wouldn't we be? We're selfish individuals going through that process. I'm proud that I had these accomplishments in a way. I'm more proud of what I do today in terms of our foundation, 
um, the business that we grew here, the complex, you know, um, you know, moving kids along, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's to me, it's funny because we, you know, we chase these dreams, right? And in our minds, we're thinking, hey, I'm going to be somebody special and everybody's going to look at me and I'm going to be cool. I'm going to drive the big car, live in the big house, and I'm a big league ball player, you know. But you get to that point where it's, you know, it's like, dude, man, thank you for all that. You know, thank you for putting me in all those situations. I got a lot out of my life for it. Everything that I have is through baseball. But the reality of it is if I'm not doing something to give it back, then I've I've wasted everything that's all. Yeah. Every bit of it. So. And it's part of it is all the accomplishments on the field I, I appreciate and I love and, and, and I worked hard for it. And there are times where I look back and I'm like, man, I could, maybe I could have worked harder. Maybe I could have worked smarter. And, but I was a captain in high school. I was a captain in college. I got voted mm -hmm. teammate of the year one year with the Rockies. You know, those are some of the things that as I'm now, I just turned 38 mm -hmm. yesterday, as I'm now Happy transitioning, birthday. thank you, farther away. And you start to, you know, you, you start to see those life skills start to yeah. play out even more other than just the the two hours of competition under the lights. So I'm, I, I have I have I don't have the illness that, you know, that you went through, but I'm severe ADD. A A Andrew will tell you, I got I had ADHD off the charts. Like I Andrew told me today, you don't lose things. You just misplace them all the time. <laughs> and, that, and, and, you know, and that's true. So my wife will always say to me, like, like, how did you get through life? You know? And uh, I got through life because of baseball. Mm -hmm. I really did. I have I have no focus anywhere outside of the game. I have my greatest focus on the field, right? Or when I'm involved with kids or teaching or, or you know, when I have a baseball or bat, you know, those things kind of, yeah. you know, take my mind out. But if you put anything else in front of me, it's it's it, it's out. So that was a gift to me, you know, to deal with the, the issue that I had that, uh, you know. Well, a good friend it, of mine told me a couple of years ago, he said, look, he goes, you know, when you have a niche, go narrow and go deeper and go narrow and go deeper. And that's what I've adopted. Yeah. I love to teach hitting and I love yeah. to teach all aspects of hitting and I love to continue to learn. And I still hit three days a week myself. To your point, to, to be able to stay on the yeah. same level and to sit there and be like, hey, I was working on this. I was working on that. I, you know, can you feel your back hip? Can you feel your hands? I've taken over a million swings in my life. That's a fact. Yeah. And still to this day, because I know it works. Right before I make contact, I tell myself to swing towards right center field because I know it works. Right. And that's right. how I create backspin. And that's how yeah. things happen. And so being able to have those conversations and, and learn and share with you and share with Andrew and do what we did with USA Baseball, you know, a few weeks ago, just it's if you're if your ears and your mind and your heart are open to learning, there's you're going to learn something every single day, even though if you even if you, even if you think you know it. Yeah. Maybe it's now it's just a new way to communicate it. And that's, you know, what you were saying before right. about coaches. It's my job. I take this personally that it's my job to teach the individual that is in front of me. So I have to learn how they learn. How do they process? How do they think? Yeah. How do they talk? So I can get on their level. Whereas I know so many coaches that they got a group of 10 kids in front of them. And the way that they can explain it is only one way. So that works for two out of the 10 kids. So the other eight kids are screwed. No, it doesn't work that yeah. way. I'll change. I'm a, I'm a visual processor. I have, I have to see it. Right. So growing up playing, you know, in the street or whatever, you know, I mimicked hitters mm -hmm. that I saw on TV. I couldn't be told to do something. I had to, I had to go ahead and I had, and I had to feel it. So um, what the way that I teach a lot of times or the way that I can explain things is through visual mm -hmm. processing. Like this is how this is works. Okay. Yeah. See this. 
put that in your head and go see it. Don't sit here and think I got to go X, Y, Z, you know, A to C, you know, all that other stuff. I mean, that's a, that's important, right? That's important to build the mechanics of it. But overall you have to have that, um, you know, you got to have that piece in your head. Like you're saying, as you're getting ready to swing, I got to go to right. I know Mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. Mine was inside half of the ball. Yeah. You know, the green dot, I put three dots on a ball, green dot, a yellow dot, a red, like, like a stop. stoplight. I got to hit the green dot, green dot, green dot. And that was my visual processing. And that came from Jimmy Lafever more than anything else because Lafever was the same way. Uh, he was my manager in Seattle. And he would bring out – I'm not a big gadget guy, mm-hmm. but there are certain things out there that that train guys to do certain sure. things. Um, I love Jeff Fry, but I think Jeff gets – you know, he gets a little bit a little bit off track from time to time in terms of what these guys are using. I mean, some of the things are ridiculous, absolutely. But there are tools that – like, you know, swing, we swing a mop handle to keep them on the plane just to feel the plane and things yeah. like that. But um, – you know, if if you don't have these processes, these visual things and these feel things, you can't just rely on the mental, mental like, I mean, the physical part. We're talking to yourself through it because we say paralysis by analysis, yeah. right? You go to the plate and you think, oh, my hands here. You see all those guys like my hands here, my feet, whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm like, that's an out. We got them. You know? Well, what's the, at, at the core, the essence of hitting is putting bat to ball. Barrel up, man. So, if if there's ever a doubt in your mind of what you're trying to do, yeah. play pepper. Yeah. The, you know what? There's signs on fences now. Don't play Don't pepper play in pepper. front of the dugout, right? I mean, it's crazy. And we watch we watch the Korean national team. We went and played the um, uh, we didn't we played them. We lost them, but we beat our national team when we put Ray 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 uh, Torres and I put that team together and go out there. But they were playing pepper from sixty feet six inches. They weren't playing pepper from like up front. They were like. And they had five guys out yeah. there, and they would just barrel the ball, barrel yeah. the ball, barrel the ball. And they had the best bat control of any any team I've seen right. ever, right? Now, they maybe didn't have the power that wasn't as physical. But let me tell you what. They were shooting ground balls here, shooting line drives over there, and I was amazed. And it was, it was even more amazing. The guy from 60 feet, 6 inches, all infielders, whatever, they were all just throwing dimes. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Well, that's what makes me laugh is, you know, we look at the program and we look at major leagues now and the the shift from average 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 all the way over to power 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 right it's somewhere back in the middle yeah and if you take all the guys that you played with who were 280 with seven and 50 if you took that same hitter and just took them took that soul out of them and put them in a in a six two 205 player of today yeah that 280 turns into 20 and 75 Sure. sure just because of the physicality of it. Right. But we want to change the hitter. We want to change the mindset. We want to change the approach, all those things. And so, you still see it today where you, you watch guys and we're paying them to be mediocre and then they're mediocre and we're mad that they're mediocre. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think we're going to see different, a different approach to hitting again now that they've changed the shift. Yeah. Now, now you're going to have to move the ball around the infield a little bit and do, do certain things. You can see guys that, you know, average guys. So, if, if you know, it used to be power slots, three, four, five, six, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and now and then table set is one, two, and drive those guys in. So, a statistic was always run scored. Yeah. If you weren't a power hitter, how many times you get on base? How many times does that guy drive me in? Right. If I don't have a bunch of runs driven in, then my three, four, five guys suck, you know? So, it, it but I hope, I hope it gets back. That's why I like watching college baseball. Really do. I mean, you know, the talent level is kind of watered down to a degree because they're all showcase type of baseball. Mm-hmm. They're not ba- not everybody out there is a baseball player. Um, 
you know, it's just it's it's that part is difficult to watch, not to see the you know the the guy that may not have the the greatest ability, but knows how to play the game. He's a baller, yeah. Yeah, but the, you you don't see that you don't yeah. see that much anymore. But well, Chris, we're gonna do this again, man. Yeah, this um, is awesome. So I want to I want to I want to thank uh, the the Burlington bees out in Burlington. I, I flew out there to to do a public speaking engagement, and uh, that was awesome. You're talking about uh, the the Midwest soul and people and. Yeah. I showed up in a in a suit and in a white shirt and all dude up and they were in overalls and tractor hats and I'm like okay I'm, this is not going to go over real well with a New York accent talking <laughs> to these people but it was phenomenal and I want to thank Marty Moog that uh, I met Marty when I did the Mariners Fantasy Camp and uh, he invited me to come out and, and um, it was it was it was awesome it was an awesome night it was a lot of fun they were great people and. Uh, and I appreciate them, you know, thinking about me. And you know, this was a conversation. This, this, the way that we're speaking is how I, I, I spoke about the human touch. And yeah. you know, it's like people look at us and say, "Okay, he's a big league and think you're something special." You're not, man. If you're not, if you're not reaching out and changing things and and and, and touching hearts, and you missed it all. Yeah. You missed it all. You're allowed to sit on everything that we did. We're allowed to sit on that. But if you're not parlaying off of that, then. Uh, no good. Um, I want to thank Architect Sports, Alan Tyson, Lindsay, um, Jason. Those guys are rehabbing. Not only they rehab me, they rehab my uh, Zach. They rehab my 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 son Dylan, my other son Dylan, and now my mother-in-law Nancy is getting rehabbed by them too. So, um, so they, you know they've taken care of our whole family. And Alan's been great to our non nonprofit organization along the way. Uh, you deserve a chance foundation. And uh, can't thank those guys enough. Um, Todd Friedman, you know, with Blast Motion, been been great with us. And uh, and uh, this was a great show, man. This was a really good show, and I hope a ton of people listen to it because this was just packed with with solid information from from the youngest level to the highest levels. And uh, appreciate you, man. No, man, I appreciate thank you guys. All right. Thank you so much. You All right, well, everybody, thank you for the Shaver Baseball Report. Um, we may try and throw one in on Friday if we can. I'm not uh, here. I'm going tomorrow. Oh, never mind. See, Andrew's traveling again. He's going to Colorado. I'm skiing. traveling again. Yes, yeah. He always travels. No, I'm like, he it's always, like, always travels. When I, we don't do shows on the days we're supposed to, because Andrew's, you know, I'm overpaying this dude. I swear. But he's, um, <laughs> I quit. He's going to Colorado. He's been where else? You been? You been up in the mountains? That's uh, it. No, that is not it. Where else have I been? You went to New York. That was like two years ago. You still went. <laughs> okay. Did you go to Memorandum? Remember and no, I didn't <laughs> check that one out. <laughs> we got it. Well, everybody, thank you for uh, for listening to us once again. And uh, please share. Please share the podcast. And uh, peace out.